Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening, and thank you for tuning in to That's Truth tonight. We are honored to have you be part of the program tonight. This is a live interactive call-in program, and sitting across the desk from me, as usual, is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Um, good evening, Brother Nathan, and want to say thanks to those who are listening this evening. We thank you so much for allowing us to get into your homes. Yes, I know each individual has a very busy uh schedule, especially this Christmas time. Pastor, it's hard to believe that Christmas is, what, only nine or ten days away. It's uh, 2020 has been quite the year, but Christmas is almost here, one of my favorite times of the year. Now, Pastor, before we jump back to our topic of debt from last year, from, excuse me, not last year, from last week, we have a question that came in from a listener today. Pastor, what does the Bible mean when it talks about a new world order, and what does it have to say about this topic? Well, I'm not too sure um, how uh, that can be stated because there's no reference to the particular expression, a new world order in the Bible. Um, I would say two things about uh, this concept. Uh, One is, uh, um, from a worldly point of view, there is the New World Order is a, a conspiracy theory, and it hypothesizes that there's a secret emerging totalitarian government which is being formed, and is going to replace sovereign states. Um, they allege that there's a cabral of influential leaders, people like Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, and maybe even the Rockefellers, etc., and others, um, political luminaries, and that this they are uh, operating um, through many front organizations and they're orchestrating uh, significant political and financial events, Uh, sometimes even systematic crises that uh, people talk about, and they push controversial issues, uh, both national and international, and the ongoing uh, interest is to create a situation that demands the rise of a totalitarian regime that controls the world. That's the theory that is being uh, foisted on on the the public, etc. Um, I don't know myself. I'm I'm not one given to conspiracy theories. So, but I do not believe that there are agents at work uh, trying to destroy the Christian faith, uh, trying to undermine stable governments, and trying to create world chaos so that out of this would arise some kind of control. I do believe that. Now, when we take that in relation to what the Bible teaches. Well, there's no reference to a new world order. There is reference in the Bible that there is coming a new world government uh, that will arise in the last days, and it's going to be a Eurocentric government, which is the revival of the Roman Empire. 
Um, you find reference to that in Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7. You also find reference to it in Revelation chapter 13 and Revelation chapter 17. It is going to be headed by the Antichrist, and it's going to be a ten-nation confederacy. This is indicated in Daniel's vision of the image with the ten toes, and in Revelations, the beast with the ten horns. Um, they will control the world through uh, economic means, and there will be economic coercion because they will not be able to buy or sell or do any kind of commerce except you receive what is called the mark of the beast. It becomes a passport for any kind of economic activity. Uh, this is certainly biblical. This is predicted it's going to happen. And for that to happen, I believe that there are three um, things that probably have to happen before that can actually uh, turning to actual fruition. First of all, the Bible does predict that Russia, for example, is going to suffer a tremendous defeat in Ezekiel chapter 30 to 39, where a coalition of nations will try to invade Israel, and God himself would intervene to wipe out the whole Russian army along with the Arab allies that will form this confederacy. I believe that will create a vacuum. Second thing I think is going to happen is the collapse of the American economy. I think that is a given. If you're going to have a new world order where you have a new world government, it means that America must collapse at some point in time. And I do believe that the demise of America is inevitable. I think the it's not going to be any outside force that destroys America's inter internal struggles, in internal uh, um, crises, and especially, I think, the economic debt that has got the country completely top-heavy. I think it's going to topple at some point in time. It can't continue down this trend. Any person who has any kind of sense of economics would understand that you can't keep on borrowing. You're already $21 trillion in debt, and you keep um, borrowing and borrowing and printing and printing and printing. Eventually, um, trust in your currency is going to disappear. And the third thing, I think, that will cause this um, world government out of Europe, which is a tenage, is the ascendancy of China. There's no question about that, that China is the second dominant power in the world. And when America begins to go into demise, it's going to almost force the European powers to, to as a counterforce against this eastern power that the Bible talks about. And by the way, the word China is not in the scriptures, but it does start with the king of the east that will arise in the end time. It will be very powerful. So I think that uh, this is going to happen. Uh, the Bible predicts it. You can't change it. And uh, But... I'm a little bit leery of the conspiracy theories, but there is a biblical basis for knowing that there is a world government coming that will control the entire world, and it will use co economic coercion to get people to comply with uh, its demands and its standards. With that in <coughs> mind, Pastor, as a believer, should I be losing sleep over the rise? Should I be doing everything I can to stop the rise of this new world order? Well, the wonderful thing about it is that we're not going to be here. Uh, when this uh, final phase comes in, the church will be raptured so we will not be here as Christians. Uh, I don't think we need to spend any sleepless nights over this whole thing. If you're a believer and God is in control, is sovereign, number one, you can't change it because it's already predicted it's going to happen. Uh, um, so I am not one given to worrying my head about something I can't change. And I, 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 I and the, the idea that I mean, you still try to in, with your own country, you try to improve the situation within your own country. But in terms of the global situation, there's not much that any of us in the Caribbean can do. So we better not lose any sleep about this matter. And um, the best thing we can do as a country, I would say, this in the Caribbean, is to get what you might call food security. 
I do feel that agriculture should be the main ploy uh, within any Caribbean government. That's what we got. We don't have resources in these small lands, but what what we do have is land, and we, we have the sun. We got um, and we got um, the skill of our people, and we got we can use uh, agriculture. And we we depend so much on overseas importation that dries up our our our, um, our bill. And I do feel that that may be the best thing to do to try to become food independent. That's about the best I can think of, to be honest with you. One other question about the tribulation period. There's a verse in Revelation, I believe it is, that talks about that all the islands will disappear. Yeah, that that comes during the uh, the final phase of the um, tribulation period. Remember, tribulation is a seven-year period. And there's a very clear indication that it, it's either going to be as a result uh, of the great earthquake that the Bible says, the whole world would virtually hear it, uh, and you're probably going to get, as you know, off the earthquake, you get tsunamis. So probably that's going to lead to the whole covering of these small small islands. As a matter of fact, there's a little um, volcano off um, the sea there in Grenada. I forgot yeah. the name of it. Is that it's active. Yeah, it's active. You can see the waters turning. There's a fear that if that was to erupt, that some of these islands would actually uh, face the complete, and especially islands like Barbados, which are very, very flat. Antigua is very, very flat that possibly if that were to happen, we would also disappear off the map. So so you don't <laughs> consider those predictions or those verses in Scripture to be over-exaggerations? Oh, no. I mean, look, I think um, every single prophecy that you find in the Old Testament, might, and, and by the way, this is the problem that people have. Uh, you know, it, uh, Hundreds of years before world empires ever surfaced, before there was a Greek empire, a Roman empire, or um, a Medo-Persian empire, God had outlined in Daniel that there can be four final world powers, Gentile world powers, before the time of the Gentiles are over. And then it, we are told that in the last phase of the Roman empire, there's going to be a ten-toe phase that is going to be revived. And you read Revelation 13 and 17, that is brought to our attention. So that's yet the phase to come in that we will we will discover. But whatever the Bible predicts is going to take place, and there's nothing man can do about it. It's, it's just the reality that God foresaw that these things would happen, and um, they're going to happen according to the uh, s- Scriptures. Time Across the Eastern Caribbean is 741. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to That's Truth, a live interactive call-in program. And thank you to the individual who called in with that question earlier today. Time across the Eastern Caribbean, as I said, is 741. If you have a question, feel free to call 1-268-462-7420. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text, send your question to 1-268-782-1454. If you're joining us on Facebook Live, you can comment your question by the video feed, and it'll get passed along to Pastor Murphy in a timely manner. Pastor, as we... Jump back into our topic from last week, which was debt. And if you weren't here for the topic last week, you can go to last week's episode. Uh, Go to Google, type in That's Truth Podcast, and there's a number of providers that'll pop up. You can go to Spotify or Google Podcast, Apple Podcast. Click on whatever link you'd prefer, and then uh, choose episode, I believe it was 139, and it uh, had debt in the titles entitled Baptism of the Holy Spirit and Debt. 
and you can listen to what was taught last week. But real briefly, Pastor gave some introductory comments. He also talked about different types of debt. Is all debt wrong? Why do people get into debt? And Pastor, you made one comment that really has stuck with me all week. And that comment was, debt is not a money problem. It's an attitude problem. And I had never really put it in that light before. And that really has stuck with me this week, and I'm sure it's stuck with others also. Can you explain what you mean by that? Well, I, I, it had to do with your, your thinking, your philosophy of life, and I think what has happened is that the, the world thinks that you can just, the whole purpose in life is to have immediate satisfaction. Whatever you want, you get. Uh, we're not prepared to uh, discipline ourselves and wait until we can get certain things. So, And, and that's where the, the credit, easy credit comes in, so that it gives the illusion that we can have the things, all the good things of life, and we can enjoy them. And then we don't actually weigh the consequence of that in terms of the long-term effects, the, the fact that we have this debt hanging over our heads and how it impacts the family, it impacts every other major decision. But I think it's this, this philosophy of uh, immediate satisfaction and gratification and that you're entitled to the best things of life. That, I believe, is the, the attitude that people adopt. And, uh, you know, it's like um, live it up now, spend it now, pay for it later. And if you die, uh, pretty much you don't have to worry about it, et cetera, et cetera. Is that uh, laissez-faire type of um, uh, nonchalant attitude that people adopt towards uh, life? Um, you know, want it easy, want it fast, want it instant, and not prepared to uh, wait uh, long-term to get anything. I think that's what I'm talking about. It's an attitude thing. I came across a statistic you mentioned uh, death there came across the statistic today that over 12% of Americans expect to die in debt. <laughs> to have that mindset that yes, there's no way I'm ever going to get out of it. I'm just going I'm actually surprised it's not higher considering the statistics yeah, you were sharing yeah, last yeah. week, but Yeah, people, you know, some people um not even worried about paying back their debt to be honest with you. Uh, they have an indifferent attitude. It's it's this idea of uh somebody owes something and uh uh, and, uh, you know, we've been deprived of something, so therefore, you know, why not take advantage of it now? And if we can pay, we can pay it back. If we can't pay it back, who cares? Should a believer have that attitude? Absolutely not. Uh, a believer has got to learn the biblical concept of contentment and, and uh, understand that he's responsible. If he, if he borrows money, you must never borrow money thinking that you're not going to pay it back. That is total dishonesty. Uh, that should never be a biblical, um, a Bible, a Bible believer's attitude towards debt. If I borrow anything, uh, it's the idea that I'm going to pay back my debt, not that I'm something going to happen to me or something so that I don't have to pay it back. That is totally unchristian and totally wrong because later we'll discover that there are certain biblical principles that deal with finance and debt. And one of those principles is that it is wrong and sinful not to pay your debts. The Bible makes that very clear. Last week you started to answer this question, but you didn't have time to finish it. So I'll go ahead and ask it again. Why is debt so bad or harmful? Well, we I mentioned one or two things. First of all, I said it, I said it causes you to pay more for the item than it costs. And I use an example of using your credit card and the 11% or 12% or sometimes 20% interest. And I pointed out that uh, you, you pay back a minimum cost, and by the time you o- you're over with it, you could be paying thousands of dollars more than the item cost. So I'm not going to go through that. I mentioned that last time. The other thing is I, I mentioned that that encourages you to spend more than you can afford. And what I meant by that, that the allure of debt is the emotional high of getting uh, or having new things now. 
without having to endure the pain of the immediate payment for it. And I think that's the, the problem with it. So you almost seem as though you're getting something for nothing, but this illusion uh, of keep, uh, tempts you to keep spending, but eventually it catches up with you, and this dotage illusion becomes a painful reality that the debt has to be repaid. But I think that it, the, the other thing is that uh, debt keeps you from reaching your financial goals, other objects, um, goals you've set. If you've got a monthly debt repayment, it limits the amount of money that you have to spend on other things. And the more debt you accumulate, the more your monthly payments, that means the less you have to spend on other things that you may value. I mean, like, for example, a vacation, you might want to look at a new appliance, or you might look at maybe a course of study or, or something like that. Or, or I mean, even even Christmas presents, something that you want to achieve, but the debt doesn't allow you to do that. Fourthly, the debt uh, borrows from your future income. Anytime you take a loan or you charge to a credit card, you're borrowing money you hope to earn in the future. That's okay. an interesting way to put it. Uh, and if you fail, um, uh, the other thing about it is that after you've paid credit for it and um, you've had it for such a long time, when you, your repayments now come, you already lost your satisfaction in what you already bought. So that that, that kind of uh, the utility of your, your money now uh, turns sour. And the other thing is that you never know what kind of changes may happen in the future so that you really can't pay back or, you you know, you, you, you didn't bargain that you're going to lose your job or you're going to get an emotion or, or you get sick. Or that COVID would come or along. COVID would come along. That was not something planned. And then that keeps you from owning a home. If you intend to own a home, your credit card debt, your auto loans, and your student loans, and your vacation loans, these are all considered when you apply for a home loan. And if you, these loans that you have, these total loans accumulate to less than, than more than 30 or 40% of your income, chances are you're not going to get a loan uh, so you can go to a mortgage. So you, you might never be able to purchase a home if your debt is very high. The other thing is that debt leads to stress and serious medical problems. And what I mean by that is very difficult for me to conceive of a person having an albatross of debt around their neck and they not be worried and not be stressed out, especially when things have a turn down and you're not too sure if you can manage the debt. Uh, what happens is that sooner or later, it, you're going to have some mild or severe health problems. For example, you might have some migraines because you're trying to f resolve the problem. You might even develop ulcers because you worry too much about the matter. Then you go into depression, and then you, you can't sleep because you've got insomnia. And believe it or not, this kind of worry and this kind of depression can actually create a heart attack. And it's all related to this whole debt. And if you go into stress because of that, I, I learned a long time ago, Nathan, I never knew this, that the greatest reason for cancer was stress. Mm. I never knew that. So imagine you're having all this debt, can't seem to be able to get yourself out of it, and you're worried about it, worried about it, stress with your whole body. So it will create complications for you and your health. The other thing is that debt hurts your marriage. Debt puts a pressure on the household finances and creates insecurity in both the wife and the children. And when this kind of debt begins to overwhelm you as a couple, it results in arguments, in fights, in breakdown, in the marriage. And it is probably the number two problem in marriage within the first three years of your marriage, uh, financial debt. And what happens is that people want a big, flashy wedding, uh, and they go and borrow money to have this big, flashy wedding, and they spend the next three years trying to pay it off. And the best thing they can do really when they go into marriage is not to go in with, with debt. 
but they have to worry about this debt. And it's just one day. It's like firecrackers. You spend all this money, and then it's, you know, what do you really want? So, And then the other thing is uh, debt really uh, costs money. And what I mean by that, it feels free when you swipe the credit card and you sign it alone. But this is an illusion. You've got to pay the price of the debt you create. The price comes in the form of interest. And the higher the interest rate, the longer the loan and the more debt you owe. And the last thing, debt can help uh, can hurt your credit score. I'm told that 30% of your credit score is based on your outstanding debt. So your credit score affects your capacity to borrow. And it costs you more uh, in other products and services like automobile insurance, et cetera, et cetera. All of these are factored in. So that's where it is so hurtful and, and um, can be very, very painful and dangerous and harmful. And one, people got to be very, very careful that they don't get into this uh, burden of debt. I read an article today that stated that if you take the average person's credit card debt and the average interest rate, and if you were to pay the minimum amount of payment, it would take you over 18 years to pay back the credit card debt, even if you didn't charge another penny for the next 18 years. That's the illusion of easy money, the yeah. plastic money, and the, the, the thing about the convenience of it, and uh, it is, you know, to have things and to enjoy things, the immediate satisfaction sometimes blur the long-term effects, and I think that that, that illusion is what really um, leads to this whole kind of mess that we find ourselves in. Now, I have heard you many times on this program and at church mention that you believe that the Bible has all the answers we need for life. So my next question for you is, what does the Bible have to say about debt and this topic of finance? Well, one of the things I would like to say, lest it would seem as though I'm promising more than I can deliver, is that the reality is that the Bible is not designed to be an exhaustive financial manual to help you solve all these issues, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, but I do believe it gives reliable financial principles that, if followed and adhered to by uh, believers, it would help them to handle the finances more uh, properly, and it would help them to alleviate them going into all this kind of debt. Uh, so, the Bible does offer some counsel in this matter, and I would like to share some verses with those who are listening. Uh, First of all, could you read for me, uh, Nathan, Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1, and then verse number 12. Deuteronomy 28, verse 1 says, And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all his commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all the nations of the earth. And verse 20... Verse 12. Verse 12. Deuteronomy 28.12 says, The Lord shall open unto thee his good treasure, the heaven to give the rain unto thy land in his season, and to bless all the work of thine hand. And thou shalt lend unto many nations, and thou shalt not borrow. Two principles there, clearly. Of course, he's speaking to Israel. We don't deny that. But that, that Israel is God's Old, Old Testament people. We in, uh, believe that the biblical principles in Scripture apply to God's people. So even though these are specific principles we put into Israel, the two principles. Number one is he promises to bless if there's obedience to him. 
if you bless, if you obey me and you follow my ordinances, etc., he said, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make you prosperous. I think that is still true today. I think uh, if we honor God, God is going to honor us. God will not be a debtor to any person or any individual. And I do feel that if we live for the Lord and we follow the guidelines of Scripture, uh, he has promised that he's going to bless. The other thing is that he promises that um, if you follow his will and you please him, you will be want be lending, and you will want be borrowing, and this is the way. That, and talks about how you would bless, don't blessing the land, uh, make the land productive, etc., etc. And of course, that relates also to to, to your own life. Um, you know, you, you get a successful job, you, you'll get promotions, whatever it is. It doesn't mean, by the way, that this is going to happen 100% because it's sometimes when God has to test us. But generally speaking, if we live in God's will and we follow God's uh, principles, we are going to be blessed. Yes. Pastor, we have a caller from Virgin Gorda. Thank you for calling. And go ahead with your question, please. Yeah, the question is, Jesus said, How be it this time cometh not but by prayer and fasting? The teaches in Matthew 17. Uh-huh. I want Pastor Murphy to explain that. And the second thing I want him to do, I have my son sit in Antigua there at the mental hospital. I don't know if Pastor Murphy could go and pay him a visit for me and pray with him. What's his name? Uh, Orville Jeffrey. Orville. I'm, my name is Canella Jeffrey, that's the father. Uh-huh. And he's Orville Jeffrey. Canella. I promise you I will go and see him and I promise you that I'll have a time of prayer. I promise you that. Oh, I'm very glad, Pastor okay. Murphy. Yeah, the other when thing... When I come up to Antigua, uh-huh. I'll come at your church and look for you. No problem. I appreciate that. I appreciate that as well. The, the yes, I'm very stressed out, Pastor Murphy. Yeah. What I'm s- that. It's not easy, yeah, you so, know. Uh-huh. Uh, you raise them up and then they get sick, you know, mental. It's terrible. Yeah, yeah. What is the best thing you said to do, Pastor Murphy? With, 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 with what? With their son? Yeah. Well, I don't know the condition. I mean, some people are there because it's an organic problem. Some people are there because there are other issues like a drug problem. I'm not sure if it's a drug problem because a lot of the people up there, if you talk mm-hmm. to if you talk to the nurses up there, uh, they'll tell you that a lot of the pro- lot of the mental cases up there are really drug related. So oh, I don't so know. Never if, been well, if you never okay, it might be an organic problem. If it's an organic problem, there's normally something that runs in the family. I must tell you that. Oh, okay. So if it runs in the family, I don't know if it runs in your family, but it, normally if it's an organic problem, it runs in the family. Because my 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 daughter, uh-huh. I went out the night to work, and in the morning when I come home at eight o'clock, I find my daughter dying in the house. You know. Wow. And he, 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 you know, she was suffering from schizophrenia. See, yeah, so that that's the organic problem I'm talking about. That's the organic problem. Yeah, sometimes it's, it's, it's actually organic. Pro- huh? Yeah, no, some a lot of a lot of cases like that when you have a yeah. mental case, there's an mm-hmm. organic problem. I, I, I've met, met several cases like that, and uh-huh. generally, I, when you talk to people, you find out if it, if it's just something in the family, and normally there's something in mm-hmm. the family down the line. So that's mm-hmm. why you call it organic problem. It's some kind of a a, a, a physical mental problem mm-hmm. that is there. Mm-hmm. That you can get over it, Pastor Murphy. Well, I don't know the I don't know the gentleman. Honestly, I, I'll go and talk to him. I'll see what what, what happens because sometimes mm-hmm. the 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 pressure, uh, sometimes the stress, is what mm-hmm. triggers a lot of this, uh, mm-hmm. and um, the, the you know that creates this kind of problem. So I I will promise you I'll talk to him and see. Uh, yeah. Maybe I'll, I'll 
get your number and maybe give you a call and let you know what what, what the results were. Yeah. Yeah. If you mm-hmm. if you want to call back to the number that you called and the lady mm-hmm. who screened the call, uh, yeah, we'll get your con that. we'll get your contact information and we will give it to Pastor Murphy as he leaves tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But explain to the one that what they talk about how we this kind of come at that, but by praying fasting. Yeah. Okay. That 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 uh, the answer to that question is is. Basic. When I say basic, I mean, our Lord, the disciples could not cast the demon out of the person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, our Lord lets us know that there are some powerful demons. There are some mm-hmm. demons that can readily be, be removed, but they are extremely wicked. And especially if it runs, uh, when it runs within the family as well, mm-hmm. it's called transference. It goes from one to the other. A lot of people mm-hmm. who are involved in, 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 in demonic practice, you, 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 when you, whenever you're dealing with demonic practice, you always try to find out if anybody in the family has been involved. And in almost 90% of the cases, they will tell you that my grandmother or my grandfather or my father was involved in some kind of black magic or something. Those powerful demon, demons uh, do not uh, um, give up easily because they're, they're possessed within the family line. And so, but and what our Lord is saying here that there's not an easy task in dealing with these uh, these demons of this nature because you're dealing with powerful forces. So rather than have a nonchalant attitude that we can just say in Jesus' name be cast out, He needs to let them know that sometimes you have to work in dealing with these kind of matters, which incurs a time of prayer and sometimes a time of to show how serious the problem is. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the answer that, that that not every demon comes out of a person by a simple prayer. Okay. It requires sometimes that you get church members to pray for you. It requires yeah, that yeah. the church goes to a time I of prayer. I need a lot of that, Pastor. I need a lot of that from my family too. Okay. Look, look like you know it's organic. Uh-huh. What, what 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 church, what church are you going to? Me? You. Yeah, I I I go to one of the churches down here. Okay. Well, it might be might be possible to sit down with your pastor and explain the problem, and then get his church to consider um, asking people to pray and fast for your mm-hmm. son. Church that, of God of prophecy, you know. Yeah. Well, you might try, try asking your pastor to encourage the members, some of the members, understand the challenge that you have and that you've requested. You know, it's a big challenge, pastor. Yeah. Uh, it's a very big challenge, huh? Yeah, I, I know. The devil, the devil is trying to mash up my family. Yeah, well, don't let him do that. You remain strong in the Lord and get the assistance from your your pastor yeah. and the church members to, to keep you uh, buoyant at this point in time. Don't yeah, give up. Yeah. Would you like to pray for me too with your, your church? I'll ask my church. I, I definitely I will ask our church to pray for you, definitely. Canella Jeffrey, you know the name, right? Yes, Canella Jeffrey. I got that down here. And Orville Jeffrey. Right. That's the one that is in the institution. Right. You're Canella and your son is Orville. Oh, uh, yeah, Abel Jeffrey, yeah. Okay, I will do that, sir. Yeah, when I come up to Antigua, I have to come and look you up, Pastor Murphy. No problem, you come, so sir. This, this uh, pandemic go, I, I'll be coming up. Okay, we'll, we'll love to see you. Thank you. Oh, yeah, I'll be right at your church. God bless you. Yeah. Thanks for calling. Okay. Okay. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much for the call, and go ahead and call back to that same phone number, and we will get your contact information and pass that on to Pastor Murphy. Pastor... Uh, Let me just share the contact information so that if anyone else has a question, then we'll jump right back into the topic of debt. The time across the Eastern Caribbean is 8.02. And if you have a question, you can call 1-268-782-1454. Excuse me. If you want to be put live on the air, you can 
Call 268-462-7420. If you want to WhatsApp or text, you can send it to 268-782-1454. Pastor, you were talking about uh, about debt and what the Bible has to yeah, say. Yeah, it's all debt and finance and biblical principles that are stated in, in scriptures. And uh, we just uh, mentioned the, the one there in Deuteronomy that God, our Lord promises blessing if we follow his word and his commandments. And he said that, you know, he'd bless and uh, et cetera, we wouldn't have to borrow. Another important principle is Deuteronomy 23, 19 to 20. And that says, Thou shalt not lend upon you. Thou shalt not lend upon usury to thy brother, usury of money, usury of victuals, usury of anything that is lent upon usury. Unto a stranger thou mayest lend upon usury, but unto thy brother thou shalt not lend upon usury, that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all that thou settest thine hand to in the land whither thou goest to possess it. Yeah, the word usury is create a problem because we don't use that term today. It's interest. That's okay. what it is. Don't charge interest. And uh, there's a principle here that, uh, you know, when you're, your brother um, should solicit a loan, if they, he needs a loan, he can't, you know, etc. and you're going to lend him, the Bible says that the believer should not charge the other believer interest. But if it's a non-believer, it gives you permission to charge interest. So that's another biblical principle that, that has to do with even in, in, when it comes to the whole matter of finance and debt, that uh, we, if we are going to lend a brother for whatever reason, if we have the resources and we think that he's going to be able to pay back, we uh, ought to follow that biblical principle uh, of not charging interest. But if there's another... Non- then another one is uh, Deuteronomy 19, uh, 15, 1 to 11. I don't know if you can, might be a little bit long, but if you want to read that. 15, 1 to 11. At the end of every seven years, thou shalt make a release. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor that, land, that lendeth aught unto his neighbor shall release it, and he shall not exact it of his neighbor or of his brother, because it is called the Lord's release. Of a foreigner thou mayest exact it again, but that which is thine with thy brother thine hand shall release. Save when there shall be no poor among you, for the Lord shall greatly bless thee in the land, which is the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance to possess it. Verse 5, Only if thou carefully hearken unto the voice of thy Lord thy God to observe all these commandments which I command thee this day. For the Lord thy God bless thee as he promised thee. And thou shalt lend unto many nations, but thou shalt not borrow. And thou shalt reign over many nations, but shall not they shall not reign over thee. If there be among you a poor man, of one of thy brethren within any of thy gates in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not harden thine heart, nor shut thine hand from the poor brother. But thou shalt open thine hand unto him, and shalt surely lend him sufficient for his need in that which he wanted. That's not politically correct. (laughs) Uh, Verse 9 says, Beware that there be not a thought in the wicked heart, in thy wicked heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of release, is at hand, and thine eye be evil against thy poor brother. And thou givest to him not, and he cry unto the Lord against thee, It is and it be sin unto thee. Verse 10, Thou shalt surely give him, and thine heart shall not be grieved when thou givest unto him, because 
that for the thing the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all thy works and in all that thou puttest thy hand unto to do. For the poor shall never cease out of the land. Therefore I command thee, saying, Thou shalt open thine hand wide unto thy brother, to thy poor, and to thy needy in the land. I mean, there's a lot said there, but basically it's talking about being compassionate in dealing with the less fortunate brothers and sisters. Uh, of course, it's referring to Israel as a nation, but again, that also has the principle of applied to believers in relation to believers. Uh, the principle I want to get off there, Nathan, is that at the end of seven years, there was a complete cancellation of debt. So the principle, that principle is applied today that if you're going to loan uh, a brother, try to keep it short term. Because, uh, <laughs> in other words, um, we don't have a seven-year release uh, in terms of how to cancel debt. But the sensible thing that you need to learn there, that realizing that um, God doesn't want debt to go on for such a long period of time, is that if you do decide on a loan, try to make it a short-term loan as opposed to a long-term loan, all these years, etc., etc. That's an, another biblical principle there. Uh, then there's one in Deuteronomy 24, verse 10 to 13. 24, 10 to 13 says, When thou dost lend thy brother anything, thou shalt not go into his house to fetch his pledge. Thou shalt stand abroad, and the man to whom thou didst lend shall bring out the pledge abroad unto thee. And if the man be poor, thou shalt not sleep with his pledge. In any case, thou shalt deliver him the pledge again when the sun goeth down that he may sleep in his own raiment and bless thee and it shall be right and it shall be righteousness unto thee before the Lord thy God in verse 14 thou shalt not oppress any hired servant that is poor and needy whether he be of thy brethren or of the stranger that are in the land within thy gates uh, two things here quickly one has to do that the lender and uh, you, you loan somebody some money and they give you a pledge. Maybe in those days it seemed to be that one of the most valuable things a person had was their coat to keep them warm. Uh, they're saying, you know, in, in case that happened, that the person can't meet the commitment, don't go into the man's house and, and, and take that, that basic um, idea. So the lender must respect the borrower's dignity. Even though he's loaned the money, he must still respect his dignity. And he must be concerned about the person's warmth and comfort uh, that must not be taken away. And uh, that's what it was. So, again, the concept here is, is compassion and uh, respecting the person's dignity despite the fact they've lo- you've loaned them some money. Then another one is Psalms 37, uh, 21. I'll get that to that in just a minute, Pastor. We have a caller from sure. Bendel's Antigua. Thank you for calling. Go ahead with your question, please. Good evening, Hi, good evening, sir. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Good to hear your voice. What can we do for you? Yeah, uh, I have a question there. I know you're gonna help me tonight. Yeah. First one, I would like to explain Proverbs of the Free, with six to nine. Let me read those here. Proverbs 3, 6 to 9 says, In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. Verse 9, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. Uh, I, I don't know if you want a full exposition of that, but it's, it's, it's pretty straightforward. Um, you... 
if you're going to your way of, take away you're going your way of marriage you honor God by bringing God into your marriage you you want to you want counsel you want advice uh, is this the right person for me etc cetera, etc cetera. when it comes to your finances how you use it that's the way of your finances again God I'm at, how am I to spend this money uh, you know I'm, you know th- those kind of things um, when it comes to relationships you bring in it, all your ways every direction you're going ways are like a path you're going so you bring him into into your confidence you, you bring these things before God he's like your counselor and you share these things with him and uh, if you don't have peace about certain matters you don't go down that course so you acknowledge him in all your ways and he's promised when you do that he will direct your path he'll give you the guidance that you need and then he goes on to talk about it's being fatness for your navel etc in other words uh, it's, gonna be, it's just healthy for you as a person and he would ensure that his blessing would fall upon you uh, and what was your la- last part of the verse Nathan? Honor the Lord with thy substance uh-huh. and the first fruits of all thine increase. Again, that has to do with giving to God the first fruits that belong to Him. Uh, and in every in the Old Testament, even when a man had did farming, his way of giving to the Lord was that the first part of the the, the crop it was given to the uh, into the temple that was given to the poor that was also helped to sustain the priests, etc., etc. Uh, but that is the respecting God and, and honoring Him in that that particular way. Uh, so, if I am a, a farmer, for example, one of the ways that I could honor God is that when I do a, a, a crop, one of the ways I might I might put aside some of that and say, God, I, this is for you, and how you want me to use that? Maybe to give my neighbor some, or maybe to you know. But let him know this is his. Or when you when you when you when you sell whatever it is that you produce. You say to him, Lord, this first, this portion belongs to you. The, the tenth belongs to you. Whatever it is, that's honoring God and respecting God for um, you know showing your your appreciation for His His, his goodness, His kindness, His mercy, His favor. Uh, that's what that verse particularly means. But, but, but Pastor, uh, mm-hmm. some 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 churches will tell you honor God if you're faithful, like your income, like your money, you you getting paid. Uh-huh. Someone will tell you honor God, honor. Your first food, like every month, every first week in the month, your first salary, you you get paid for the month for whatever. Yeah, well, but churches, generally speaking, including Baptist churches, uh, we believe that a tithe is, is proper, and that is where um, most people in our church that I know of we tithe, and that is we give one tenth to the ministry. That goes into uh, whatever needs to be done in the church, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, pay the bills. Um, if we have to help people, we would help them in that regard. Um, of course, if you have uh, pastors, you've got to pay your pastors. But that's that's what that money is used for. Um, some of it sometimes would, well, we'd have a different thing for missions. Uh, but there are times when we would take some of that money and give it to missions. We, we support uh, a, a pastor's family education with two children uh, out of our church income. Uh, 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 to help him as that, so we do various things with it. But that's what we uh, what first fruits is basically um, honoring him with whatever uh, first things you receive, whether it be a first crop. In your case, sometimes maybe the first fish or something, because I know that you do you do fishing. But basically, it's uh, the idea of of giving to God um, what He's blessed you with and asking Him how to use that, because sometimes it might be a neighbor that need something and your way of giving helping that would be maybe if you do farming to give him some some uh, tomatoes or something 
but that first fruit you, you give to the Lord. That, that's, the, that's the biblical concept. And I think it's a good one as well, to be honest with you. I I, I agree that I understand, but some people, some, some people want you to give, to give a tithing offering, uh-huh. and then if you want you to give a full fruit, depending on what that you will get back in. Look, I, let me just say to you how I feel about these matters, right? I think giving is a matter of conscience. I really believe that. I, I don't I don't believe in plummeting people and, and, and demanding things of people when it comes to this. It's a matter between a person and God, and it's a matter of the conviction that the God leads upon you in, in this regard. That's my, my whole philosophy about missions. I, I, you come to our church. I've been there now uh, 17. 17, going to 18 years. I, I've hardly ever preached on, on tithing. I don't think I've ever done it. Because even though I believe in it, I don't want that when somebody enters the church, that day they enter, I'm preaching on this subject. And you know, the problem today is that when you begin to deal with these things, everybody says, well, the pastor want money, the church want. So I constantly def- avoid, but I don't have a problem in our church because our people uh, were taught well. And so I don't have those major issues. But I think that it's a matter of conscience, uh, well, this matter of giving. And I think a person ought to get before God and, and ask the Lord, Lord, what should I do? And let the Lord deal with a person on a, on a personal level. That's that's my recommendation. But what? the demanding and, and and you know and you know I've heard of churches where you put in coins to say we don't want to hear any noise in in anything. You know, <laughs> I I laugh when I hear that kind of stuff because I think it is really really a poor representation of the gospel, and I think it conveys the wrong message. And but, that's why but, people turn away from the church a lot of times. To be honest with you, yes. But that's never, and, and the Bible tells you must give God. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. There's nothing wrong, but what I'm saying, uh, if a person wants to demand of a person that he he gives his first fruit and, and, and put that kind of pressure on him, that's a matter between the man and God. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, time belongs to the Lord, but the other things, that's a matter between the, the man and... You know, let me put it this way. I feel that there's sometimes some situations where the this, this situation is so dire that quite frankly, as a pastor, uh, I can see a situation where a person could not pay the tithe in a, a, a one month or two, whatever. I, I can see that. I can see that happening because there are situations that really can become, and people sometimes don't want to share the burden. They'd rather bear it in secret. So I can see those kind of things happening. But look, it's a personal matter between an individual and the Lord. And uh, one of them say to you, if you don't have peace about something, don't do it. Right? If your conscience bothers you about something you're doing, don't do it. The Bible said God is greater than your conscience. Just rely upon Him and His peace and, and His guidance. Amen. Uh, second one now. Uh, can can, uh, can a, a true believer, Christian, and cover not with the blood, can it uh, demonize? Can you have demon spirit and hold it? What, at what extent that you can know that you are demonized? Look, I... Uh, I uh, let me just put it this way. For many, many years, I believe that a person cannot be, a believer cannot be demon-possessed. I, I think that's my, almost my, <laughs> my position. I've read some, honestly, I've read some books by some godly men, solid, solid Bible teachers, uh, like Merrill Unger. He's written several books on this matter of demonology. And I find that over a period of time, because of his contact with missionaries and their experience overseas with people who became converted and coming out of a pagan background and found that later on, at some point in time, they became demonized again, that has led him to believe that it is possible. Uh, Remember that your spirit is redeemed 
but your body is not redeemed as yet. That's something you've got to bear in mind. The body will one day be redeemed. So the body, body is where demons um, try to possess. So even though your spirit is redeemed, your body will one day be redeemed. The Bible talks about in Romans chapter number 8. So they, it could create an avenue in your life where you can be under the influence of, of, of demons. I, d- I don't doubt about that because even Peter, the Lord said, Get thee behind me, Satan. And even Ananias and Sapphira, who I thought think were, were believers, he said, how has Satan filled your heart that you can lie to the Holy Spirit? So I do feel that a believer can be demonized. I am very hesitant in saying that it can be demon-possessed, however. And when I say demonized, I mean can be influenced by demonic powers because he's given a foothold in his life. Mm-hmm. I think that can happen. But in the actual possession, I am very, very, uh, I, I am very hesitant at this point in time. And I am not too sure what my position is on that. I thought I knew before, but by doing much more reading, uh, I am a little bit hesitant in making my... But I am—I will say this, I am definitely sure a be- believer can be influenced. I am not set on the question whether he can be possessed. That's the problem that got me. I, I, I don't... How can... You know, our Lord said that the strong man is greater uh, than the... the greatest he does in he does in the world. And that's where my problem comes in uh, with people who talk Christians being possessed. I think it can be influenced, but the possession part of it bothers me a little bit, and I can't speak definitively on that. There's no biblical example in the Bible of a believer being possessed, but right. there is a biblical example of a believer being influenced. Right. But, uh, I have the same belief with you because I would, I would agree in that one there. A man the cover underneath the blood, I even know why the devil could yeah, yeah. demonizing whatever. Yeah, I what, was the argument. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Williams, what has happened is, right, is that the, and I don't want to say this as though I'm knocking different denominations, but I think a great disservice has been done, uh, especially with the Pentecostal group that put so much emphasis on deliverance and demons and demons and demons and demons. Sometimes when I hear the amount of demons that have been cast out of believers, I ask, where do demons go then? <laughs> no, they, they go somewhere. So, are we recycling demons in the church now, or what? Right. So that is what bothers me a lot when I hear about all of this this kind of thing. You know, um, um, we we got to realize that God is at work in us. The Bible makes it very clear: is He that will help, help us to will and to do His good pleasure. Great is He that's in you, that's in the world. Uh, I I believe that very strongly, but I do think that we can get out of God's will. And I do believe that we can create a foothold in our lives and give the, a beachhead, as it were, because of something we're practicing, so that the devil exploits that in our lives. But the actual possession, um, I'm very, very leery of making those kind of statements. I do. Thank you. <laughs> uh, thank you. I, yeah. I, I strongly believe that too. Yeah, thanks for calling. God bless you. Appreciate anytime, you so much. And we take care and I continue up here. You too. Say hi to the wife. God bless. Yeah, I do that. Have a great night. Thanks for listening. No matter how you are joining us tonight, whether it's on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, online at www.radiolighthouse.org, maybe you're listening on another online radio platform, or maybe you're on Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook live video feed, we are glad, we are honored that you have taken time out of your Tuesday evening to join us on the program. Thank you to those who have already gone in and asked their questions on the program tonight. Thank you in advance to those of you who will send in your questions. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 8.22. 
Pastor, you were talking about. Yeah, yeah I was asking you to look at uh, Psalms 37, verse 21. Psalm 37, verse 21 says the following. Blessed be the Lord, for he that hath showed me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. That's 37, 21? Sorry, that's 31, 21. Let me get 37, 21. 21. Take number two. The wicked borroweth and payeth not again, but the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. And then look at Ecclesiastes 5, 5. Ecclesiastes 5, 5 says, Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. Okay. The, the thing there is vowing to pay and not paying and borrowing and not paying. So that's another Bible principle. If you borrow money, you borrow it with the idea you're going to pay it back. You don't borrow it saying, well, you know, I can leave this debt for my family to handle, et cetera, et cetera. You have to go into a borrowing situation where you intend to pay back. Otherwise, it's unethical, it's wrong, and the Bible says it is sin. So that relates to our question of debt. And then look at uh, Proverbs eleven fifteen. Proverbs 11.15 says, He that is surety for a stranger shall smart for it, and he that hath surety, sh- surety ship is sure. Right, and then Proverbs 17.18. Proverbs 17.18 uh-huh. says, A man void of understanding striketh hands, and becometh surety in the president presence of his friend. And then Proverbs 22. 26. 22.26 Be not thou one of them that striketh hands, or of them that are surety for debts. Yeah, what it's talking about there is being a guarantor. In other words, uh, um, taking the position where you're going to stand to assume the person's debt if they can't pay it back. And this is another biblical principle. It's warning against you acting as a third party to guarantee that the loan is going to be paid back. The Bible warns that very, very clearly. You say you're going to smart. You're going to, you're going to suffer for it. That's basically what it's saying. So it's not wise uh, to, to, to do that. Now, fortunate for me, that has happened in my life. When I was going to Bible school, a lady acted as my guarantor. And uh, she didn't do that. I would never have gone to Bible school. So it's not in every case where it is, I would say, it's wrong. But you can be very, very, very cautious. You've got to know the person well, uh, not just because the person is your friend, because friends leave you hanging a lot of times. So that's a biblical principle. Be very, very careful and watchful not to stand as a guarantor for a person in terms of debt. Something that someone shared with me a number of years ago was that if you're going to loan money to a friend, if you want to make sure that that doesn't end up ruining the friendship, be willing to just give that individual the money upright. And if they choose to give it back as they're able, Uh but if you have strings attached and you're expecting or needing it to come back, Uh that's a setup for a possible broken friendship. What are your thoughts? That's possible. But I think if a buddy borrows from you, they should pay you back. I think if they want you to uh, ask for your help and you're willing to get gratuitously, I think that's a matter. But I think that the obligation to pay back is there once I decide to borrow. Um, that that's my suggestion. I mm-hmm. don't know if people would agree with that, 
But I do think if you're going into a loan agreement and a bond agreement, you go into it that I'm going to pay you back the debt. Now, you might look at it and the person might be stretching for such a long time. You might decide, you know what, you've paid back enough. I'll cancel it. But that is the individual uh, uh, because I, I, I'm not, I understand what you're saying, but I still think that once you're going into a, 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 a borrowing, and sometimes it affects your, your wife, your family, your kids yep. as well. So you've got to take that into, in, in mind. If you want to cancel it, that's your business, but you should be expecting to be paid. I think the person should go into that with the idea of repaying. Another principle um, is uh, Matthew chapter 25, verse 27. Matthew 25. Verse 27, as I'm turning there, no one can say these verses are not practical. These are pretty straightforward and applicable to our everyday life. Matthew 25, 27 says, Thou oughtst therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own money with usury. Yeah. Again, it, you know, that parable is the parable our Lord gave, but clearly the principle there is that he seemed to endorse capitalism, and he seemed to endorse the idea of paying interest. So the idea of investing to get interest on your investment, uh, clearly from that parable, there's nothing wrong in, in uh, investing your money so you get an interest, or even uh, savings to get interest. So uh, that passage, is, is our Lord said, you know, you know, I gave you this money, and you should have used it. You didn't use it. You just buried it. He said, you know, if you know you're not going to take it and put it in the bank so I get interest when I come back. So that would seem to me that, that the, the, the Bible is not adverse against the idea of investing in order to get interest. That, that's another principle that I stand out. And then Proverbs 21, 22 is a, another verse of Scripture. Proverbs 21, 22. 20, sorry. 20, all right. There is treasure to be desired, and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. Okay, the principle there is what? Savings, basically, yeah. right? Uh, and, and that's the whole idea. A, a fool who spends everything he earns, and I would tell people that if you're, if you're working, uh, the minimum you should try to save is 10% of your income. Uh, uh, even if you've got to suck salt and bite your nails, you should be saving at least 10% of your income. You should not be spending everything you receive. And that's what the Proverbs is talking about. A wise man is like saving because it's like oil for him. It's value. The, the, the foolish man, he just spends everything he gets. He, you know, he's, he's more concerned about immediate satisfaction and long-term benefits. And then one other one... Um, Proverbs twenty five twenty eight. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Yeah, that is a more of a, a broad, much broader principle. But the whole idea is is controlling. Even if you have to control your your income, if you can't have any control even over your finances, uh, you don't have any protection. You're vulnerable. You're, you're having a life without wall. You can easily uh, suffer consequences and uh, be, be defeated in terms of your financial uh, handling of your money. So the idea there would be that uh, you should have some kind of central control over these matters. Those are nine principles. There are others, but I think these are some very practical things that uh, relate to our subject of debt and the whole matter of, of finance. As we get even more practical in the topic of debt, how do you suggest that we tackle debt, or how do we go about uh, addressing the issue? Well, uh, you've got to come up with a strategy uh, to reduce your debt, and I, it involves a combination of, of several factors. Uh, one I would say to you is that when you're in debt and you want to deal with your debt, you're going to have to see if you can increase your income. 
Okay, so if you can increase your income, and you can reduce your debt. Secondly, you'll have to look at reducing your expenditure because you already owe money. Is there any way I can reduce my expenditure so that I can deal with my debt? Uh, the third thing would be uh, try to pay off the debt. We're talking about how you can pay off some of your debts um, incrementally. Fourthly, you can renegotiate a reduction of your debt. There, when you are in such a financial, you can go into the bank or go into the financial institution, and you can you can debate with them and discuss it with them and see if you can somehow renegotiate a reduction. And then uh, the fifth thing would be, of course, avoid new debt. I think those are five simple, uh, basic steps that you must bear in mind when you're going to deal with debt. So you listed five things there, and I'm going to just come back and uh, get a little more explanation on at least a number of them. Uh, You mentioned increasing income. Do you have a magic plan for how I can go about doing that? Um, Well, there are four ways, basically, you can can increase income. Um, Jim has mentioned number one is work, of course. Uh, You can get an extra job. Uh, You can work overtime. You can sell back some of your vacation time to your company and explain to the boss, you know, you're not going to take vacation. You like to be, even if they pay for vacation, and you can still come in and work and make some extra money. Uh, the other way you can increase your income, of course, is return on investment. That is, if you've got stock or bonds or fixed deposit. And then the other thing is an inheritance. Uh, sometimes you might get an inheritance for your family, or sometimes somebody will give you a gift. There are no get-rich schemes in the Bible, no gimmicks, no gambling, no lotto schemes. It's, it's looking at life from a biblical perspective. Uh, it believes in the dignity of work and uh, using your wisdom, etc., etc. But this idea of uh, buying a lotto ticket, etc., and gambling, etc., has no sanction whatsoever in Scripture. So that is some of the ways you can basically, and we can deal with that a little bit more in detail, how they go about with the, getting the income. But those are four ways of getting uh, additional income. Now, you just mentioned that I shouldn't go out and buy a lottery ticket. But what is the difference between me buying a lottery ticket, Pastor, and investing in the stock market? Which is not a sure thing. I'm uh, put you in the hot seat. Yeah, you do put me. In. <laughs> <laughs> uh, basically, uh, um, the the lotto ticket basically is, is trying to get little for nothing. Let me put it that way. Normally, you 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 might buy a ticket for what? I don't even know what it costs because I've never bought one. But basically, you're looking at trying to get millions for maybe a, um, a few coppers, basically. Uh, Investing in the financial market is completely, completely different. You could invest a lot of money, and the chances are that you're going to lose or you're going to gain. So I think one is more uh, wanting something for nothing. One is using your wisdom. And, and by the way, the lotto ticket is totally dependent on chance. Okay. Investment is not. You've got to look at study the market. You, you've got to uh, do your research. Uh, you got to find out who's the uh, who the person that can best the best broker you've got. So it's not just leaving everything up to, to and that person. If you do give them your money to invest, they got to do the research. So it requires a lot of brain power, etc. The lotto ticket, all it does is you select four numbers or five numbers, and they spin something, and bam, you get it. So it's, it, there's no brain power in that, and and that there's no research that needs to be done. Was there anything else you want to add about uh, how to increase our income before we talk about reducing expenditures? Yeah, I, I'm going to cover that a little bit later okay. uh, th- because when it comes to the specific method, the practical method of doing that, I'll, I'll mention that because there are things you can do. I mean, let me just mention quickly, Nathan. Um, in a case like that where you're in the debt, you want to increase your income. Uh, as I mentioned before, you can do extra jobs. If you have a skill, 
or a hobby, you can turn that skill or hobby into a, a revenue um, gaining somewhere. For example, a person who could fix cars or fix lawnmowers, a person who can uh, bake cakes or a person who enjoys certain things, you can actually create a small side business on the weekends or even at the home or even making icicles and selling from your home for the kids who pass the road. There are lots of things you can do with that. Or your wife, maybe, if she is not working, she might consider for a period of time helping because of the situation to get a job. And if she can find a job that runs with the children in school at the same time so that there's no, she wants to be there with the kids, but they're already in school. So if you can get a job from, say, 8 to 3 o'clock, and that, that can work out, she can be at home in terms of the kids at the same time she's helping with the income and remember if it's just a temporary arrangement that's another thing the other thing you might have a teenage son who you can get him a part-time job sit down with him and explain his financial situation at home and uh, and it's good for him for experience because when he leaves school now he has some years or months under his belt and of course when people hire people today they don't like to be just Neophytes, like say, what experience do you have? So those are that that kind of thing. Uh, we, I wanted to elaborate on a little bit later if we get a chance. So how do we? You also mentioned reducing expenditures, reducing uh, how much money I spend. What thoughts do you have there? Well, the thing that I think the um, people need to bear in mind that expenditure um, falls into two basic classes of, of there is what you call consumption expenditure, and is what's called investment. In, uh, in, uh, expenditure consumption invent, uh, expenditure is expenditure on items which lose their value because of your, your use of them so that they never um, could get back your money uh, for example things like food uh, things like clothing things like travel um, uh, things like cosmetics entertainment sports holidays uh, even cable television so if you uh, are concerned about that and you want to reduce your expenditure, you look at these items that are consumable expenditures and decide, can I reduce it? For example, you don't have to watch cable. If you're really in financial position, and I, f- I don't know what cable costs, to be honest with you, but if you're paying $150 or $200 or $300 a month just for cable and you're in financial debt, you might have to sit down with your family and say, listen, we have a television, we just watch uh, ABS uh, for the next year, but we can save $300 on cable for the whole, that's that's $3,600, right? That's a a, a consumption expenditure that can be dealt with. Food items as well. You don't have to have carnation. you can buy cardinal. (laughs) You don't have to have the, uh, you know, I don't know what meat you use during the week, but you might have to look at if you're a customer trying to vary it, maybe uh, pork, beef, chicken, uh, fish, whatever it is. It might be that you have to reduce that expenditure. What about my steaks, Pastor? (laughs) (laughs) That might have to go through the window until your debt is paid off, to be honest with you. And you might, not that you will forego all uh, for the entire month, but you might have to restrict it. You're trying to reduce it. That's another, and then clothing. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, you need uh, two dozen shoes, uh, etc. You might need to cut those kind of things. And of course, I don't have to travel. Rather than uh, use two vehicles, you might need to get rid of one. We're talking about dealing with the debt, cutting down the debt, clearing your debt. Then you can look at something in the future. But the important is to get this weight off your shoulder because it's weighing the family down. It's creating problems. It's creating uh, friction between you and the wife. The children don't feel secure. Whatever is needed, you need to do that. So that's what I, what I would say there. Uh, two observations here, Nathan. Try to minimize your consumption expenditure and never get into debt 
because of a consumption expenditure. Uh, that's one of the things that you would do to, to, to try to, to reduce it, okay? I mentioned, uh, let me mention quickly the other one, um, the investment e e expenditure. These are things that you spend money on that become your assets. Uh, they have value and you can get back your money uh, if you were to sell them like your land, um, your house, stock shares. Um, um, these are the kind of things that, you know, some of your assets will appreciate and some of them depreciate. You've got to decide on that. Your house and your land appreciate, but of course your car, your washing machine, and if you've got expensive gym equipment, all of that uh, decreases in value. So when you're looking at um, your expenditure, look at those two categories and um, consider where you need to invest and how you need to cut. Time across Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 838. If you have a question, you can call and be put live on the air. Call 1-268-462-7420. If you'd like to WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to 1-268-782-1454. If you're joining us on Facebook Live, I'm glad that you have joined us and uh, you can comment your question under the video feed or beside the video feed, and it'll get it passed along to Pastor Murphy. Pastor, uh, what about, you mentioned you were going to discuss some practicals, practical ways. In a practical way, can you walk us through the steps of dealing with debt? Uh, you keep referencing the family and how debt puts a strain on the family, so let's have that in the context. Yeah, let me just suggest um, some things that you can do. And, and the order in which it's possibly can be done. Uh, the first thing I think that is worth doing is um, try to create a summary of your financial situation in terms of your assets and your liabilities. Your assets are things that you own. Your liabilities are things that you owe. And I think that um, what you need to do uh, in this matter is to try to find out your, your current status uh, in spite of where you are and maybe the kind of decisions that you made, that's not the concern. The con you want to know where you are financially, and you need to get a summary of that. So make a summary of that uh, and, uh, and look at your assets. Uh, your assets will be like your house, your car, your land, your stereo, your appliances, your tools, etc. These are your, your assets. Then look at your, your liabilities. Your liabilities would be your loans, what you borrowed, outstanding higher purchase, credit cards, etc., etc., so you list all of your assets, and then you list all of your liabilities, and then subtract the difference, and that's your net assets. That's where the hope is not a net loss, right? But that gives you an idea of where you are financially, because even though you might owe money, you might discover that if I would be able to sell off these things, really, I'm out of debt, and that lifts a burden off of you. But if you take all your assets and then look at your liabilities and find that, wow, I can't even pay this off. It adds to the burden. So I think the first thing to do to, to get know your financial position is to kind of do a summary of your assets and uh, have an idea where you stand overall financially. By the way, this principle is biblical. If you look at Proverbs 27, 23 to, 30, uh, to 27, Proverbs 27. 27, 23 to... Yeah. 23 to 27. Spending a lot of time in the book of Proverbs tonight. Yeah, well, that's the wisdom book, is it not? The <laughs> yeah. practical book as well. Proverbs 27, 23 says, Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks, and look well to thy herds, for riches are not forever, and doth the crown endure to every generation? 
The hay appeareth, and the tender grass showeth itself, and the herbs of the mountains are gathered. The lambs are for thy clothing, and the goats are a price of the field. And thou shalt have goats, milk enough for thy food, for the food of thy household, and for the maintenance of thy maidens. Yeah, I don't think that's not uh, applicable. Of course, Proverbs and Solomon is dealing with an agrarian economy where everything was about farming. But the the gist of what he's saying here is to know your flock, uh, know your assets, and know how you're going to use those things, What one for clothing, one for food, whatever it is. So the same idea, he didn't say list all your assets and list your liabilities, but the idea is that you must know your assets, you must know what you have and how you're going to use it. So that is a biblical principle that stands out there in in Proverbs. So I would say the first thing, uh, Nathan, is to try to get a summary of what you how you stand financially, and this has to do with looking at your assets and your liabilities, subtract the two, and see if you've got any net assets that are left, and that in itself helps you. The second thing I would say you need to do is establish a family budget. Uh, if you're drowning in debt, you need a family budget. Now, if you're not, you know, uh, if you're not in debt and everything is, there's not really a need for a, fa- a budget. But the moment you your uh, expenditure exceeds your income and you're having problems every month uh, dealing and that's creating problems with the wife and creating problems with the kids, it's time to lay aside your pride and your ignorance, I might say, and decide I need to get a hand on this thing. Let us see exactly what is happening, where the money is being spent. So I think you need to establish a, 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 fun, uh, a family budget. And there's two reasons for that. Number one, you want to know where you're spending most of your money. And you want to know what areas that you're spending uh, that, you, that you can actually reduce if you can. And uh, when you're doing this budget, I would suggest that you do two areas. You divide your into two categories. Look at what is called your discretionary spending. These are things that you can cut or you can lessen and look at what is non-discretionary spending these are things that you you, you don't have a choice you you have to spend for example rent if you've got a fixed rent you're paying every month you can't tangle unless you change and get a, a, a cheaper rent but in most cases it's not like you can just move from one house to another so look at what is discretionary and what is uh, non-discretionary it's the discretionary one that you can play with that you have to look at now that you're doing the family budget, decide where we can cut, what we can lessen. For example, do we need a newspaper? Now, that might seem very insignificant, but if you had a newspaper every week, that used to cost uh, $3, five threes of 15 that's uh, what, $45, uh, maybe $50 a month, basically. Can you borrow the newspaper uh, this time or read it on, online or something in that regard? Uh, if you're buying magazines or periodicals, you might need to cut that out. Do you need two cars? Well, you can reason that you need two cars, but can you survive without the two cars at this point in time? And you might, for this temporary period, get rid of it. What about satellite TV? Do you really need that? Uh, you're looking at discretionary thing, and then what about cable? Cut out cable. What about entertainment? Well, you take you go take out the wife every week. What about taking out every month on say whatever is there? Do you like going to sports and how much money you spend on sports? What about luxury things like upgrading the computer or upgrading the, the camera? That can be foregone uh, until you get yourself back on your feet more uh, solidly financial. financial. I think that, uh, so you're looking at that thing, you've got a budget, looking at 
discretionary, non-discretionary. The one you can tackle at that point is the discretionary one. See how you can lessen that or you can um, cut out some altogether. Who should be involved in this discussion of the budget? I'm assuming here the traditional family, the mother, the father, and children. Uh, what would be your advice there? Should it just be the man? No, uh, I think that's a, one of the biggest mistakes that's made. I think that when you're dealing with f- uh, family in crisis, I think, and it depends on the children as well, how mature the children are. I would bring my children into this, my wife into this, and we'll sit down and we we'll discuss that. I mentioned some time ago, Nathan, that one of the things that I had to deal with when I was in St. Lucia, uh, I wouldn't tell you what the situation was, but uh, two things. my uh, I could not afford designer stuff, Nike shoes and these kind that everybody has at school. Uh, and I, I know it would be a problem for my kids because, you know, everything is pressure, peer pressure. You know, you don't wear this, you don't wear that. And I had to sit down with them and explain, I can't, I can't do this, you know, I can't do this. The fortunate thing for me is never had problems in that area uh, with my kids, but I had to explain to them why I couldn't do certain things. Because if I didn't, uh, my kids, for example, used to have the bummer ride to go to school, I think about five miles, a bummer ride back because of the, the transportation problem. We didn't have transportation at the point in time. But sitting down with them and talking with them eased the burden. But if I had uh, not done that, you can imagine what your kids would think of you because they're comp- they believe that that is the greatest person in the world <laughs> and they're comparing what another child has that you they don't have. The wife also did be brought into this picture. Uh, you can't unilaterally sit down and make decisions without getting her input. Uh, it's vitally important that she give her input. Uh, so I think the entire family should be involved depending on the maturity of the children. But definitely, this should never be a unilateral decision on the basis of the man. It should always involve the wife and get her input, her feelings, etc., etc. And then sometimes when you need to compromise, you might think this is a non-essential. She might think this is so essential. And the thing that you think is essential, you might think it's not really essential. So you're mm-hmm. going to have to compromise at some point in time. Maybe I give in here, you give in there. But it's working together to solve the problem because you want to get yourself out of debt because this burden is destroying the family. It's putting a weight and stress on the family. So I would, um, the entire family should be involved depending on the maturity, but definitely it should never be done without the wife's input and get her in. And let me say this to men. Uh, if you have a wife that can handle finances better than you can, delegate that to her. It's not. It's not. It's not. It's not a human pride thing. She's part of the. She's part of the oneness. Let her handle the money. We men sometimes a woman can make five cents out of a penny. We we our hands are hot. We don't. We can't seem to save anything. Turn that over to her. Yeah. Trust her with that, et cetera, et cetera. You turn around, call her blessed in the future. <laughs> Pastor, I know someone. Um, who was saying, if you're having trouble figuring out where you can save money for one month, uh-huh. take a little notebook, keep it in your pocket with you, and every time you spend a cent, uh-huh. write down what you spent and what it was for. And then go back and look at it, and you'll be surprised how many times you spent money on that candy bar at the grocery store or that drink that you didn't really have to have or whatever the case may be, maybe sugar cane along the roadside stand uh-huh. or whatever the case may be. You're right about that, Nathan. I have a brother, uh, my older brother, one. From the time he was a boy up until now, if he buys a toffee, he writes it down. If he buys a mint, he writes it down. Uh, he's been very, very meticulous. Uh, and uh, he's because of that, he's, he's, he has savings. You see, uh, I think that is, uh, especially when you're in debt, yeah. You have to keep on tab on what you're actually 
spending. You'll be accustomed to a certain lifestyle, and then suddenly you've come into a crisis where you've got to make some cuts to curtail your expenditure. Uh, you could go on living kind of ablib, like how it used to be. And before you realize what's happening to you, you're getting into further debt. So that is definitely something that should be done if you're in a real debt crisis to keep a tab on every item you spend and then review it. And I know we're talking about debt, but I would even go a step further. Even if you're not in debt, occasionally take account of where you're spending money because we're called to be good stewards. And there are ways that you can probably save money and put that money toward God's work, whether it be your church or whatever the case may be. Well said, well said. And the, the one one thing I, I, I told, uh, I've said more than once, I'm, when I'm, um, I, I love to read, as you know, I love books. And I always persuade myself to buy books by the price of the book. And most of the books I buy now are on Kindle. And most of the books that you can get on Kindle are, are Book Hub. It's like one ninety nine, et cetera, et cetera. And, many, and, and that book that's one ninety nine would have cost me $60, $50. And I persuade myself by just using the idea that that's a soft drink. I don't need a soft drink. <laughs> so sometimes you've got a, a psychological game you've got to play. Maybe you can, something else you can apply to that to help you, to motivate you to spend your money wisely. But I agree with you that uh, it's not just when you're into debt. I think it's wise to keep a tab on how you're spending money. And it would, you learn that you can, put a lot, you can save so much. But just because we are so loosened, without discipline, <coughs> we spend money recklessly. And you know, if you if you buy ice cream, you buy soft drinks, you buy two or three a day, that can really add up. Uh, you think at the end of the month, it really can add up. So I agree yeah. with you, brother. may not just be the cost. It may be the <coughs> health cost down the road, too, that catch up with you. But anyway, enough of me talking. <laughs> uh, you were talking about establishing a family budget. Yeah, so I said the first thing is do your, your, um, your financial status by looking at your assets and your liabilities, all right, and try to establish where you are financially. Number two, I thought, do a budget. The third thing I would say that um, that you need to do is to try to implement – uh, ways now of reducing your debt. And one thing I would say here is to stop any current savings that you're doing. Now, what I'm referring to, Nathan, is that there are people in debt, but they're saving towards a rainy day and they're saving towards their children's college. Uh, to my mind, it is futile to save and to borrow because you're getting less interest on your savings and you're cost you more to borrow. So you're actually paying the money. You, you, the money bank is loaning you your, the money and you are paying them more interest and you are sa- than you're saving in the bank. So it doesn't make any At this juncture, forget about these other things and if you're, you know, for the rainy day or for the children's college, uh, you might have to decide, look, you know what? What is important? Let's, let's deal with the debt. But it doesn't make any sense you're saving at 3% interest and borrowing at 7 or 8% interest. You just, yeah. it, it, when you think about it, but people don't think that way, right? But again, they had to get the debt out and then when the debt is over, then you can start saving in that direction. So my, my argument would be, uh, first of all, that you, you do that. You, you cut out um, any current savings that you're doing and try to pay off uh, y- your debt. Um, secondly, is to pay off the debts that um, cost you the most interest. Okay? I know you're in debt, but when you're tackling the debt now, you've got to look at which of these are going to cost me uh, the, the most interest. And that's the one that you, uh, you pay off. The other thing you've got to look at, though, that is there a penalty for paying off a little bit early uh, because you, you begin to tackle now the major things and, and stuff like that. So you've got to look at that. But try to pay off the debt 
uh, that is costing you the most the most interest. Um, the other thing is now is now working off that uh, working off the debt. There would be the other thing that I'm talking about now, which is the fourth thing that you need to do. And I we talked about earning more income. And uh, that's why I said we want to get into that. Is uh, first of all, look at you yourself. Ask yourself: um, Do you need another additional job? If you're working from eight to five, can you get a job that give you maybe from six to eight or six to nine additional job? Can you change jobs uh, that will give you a better income? Uh, as I mentioned before, can you turn a hobby into cash? Um, um, you know, if you you love plants and you love planting, can you, can you sell plants on the side of the road? Uh, I was kind of humored the other day where somebody told me that um, there were there was so much pride in them that they they have a, a mom who has um, lemons, a lot of lemons, and the mom have always asked, "Why don't you just sell these lemons?" And but they were so proud, proud that they got a car. They don't want to go this side of the road, but you know something happened. They started doing it. And they wish they had done it before. The foolish mm-hmm. pride that they had, they're making so much money just selling the lemons. But the pride of, of standing by the side of the road and, you know, people passing and seeing you, you know, you're supposed to be got this car, this house, whatever it is. So a lot of it, uh, you can do, there's things that you can do in that regard. Um, one thing I would say to, 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 to wives when they say that, you know, some people can really cook some good meals, delicious meals. They might be able to sell to 10 people. Uh, to try to help the family during this period of time. Or maybe you can make a, a drink that is unique. Uh, one of my family members in Barbados makes um, a drink out of uh, golden apples and sells it to the hotels. That's how she started. Now wow. she now she has a, a used car business, basically. But that's how she started out. Then you can do pastries if you can. Or uh, the other thing you can do is our jobs for friends or relatives. They let them know you're in financial position. I said you don't want to get a job, but you say you know if you need something done at home, uh, you know I can help you with that. What about working online with a computer? And there's so many opportunities out there now, and the technology is pretty much creating a situation where you can virtually stay at home and do certain things. Uh, or you can do informal work for pay. And the other thing, why don't you offer some lessons to if you you got a good education and you you don't have to be a teacher, but let's suppose you're good at math or good at English, why don't you offer some lessons to school children during that period of time on evenings in your home? Those are things that you can do. Then look at your wife. Uh, I mentioned before the idea that it's possible that she can find a job that allows uh, coincides with the, the time the children at work. Um, again. Women, the technology, in my judgment, has aligned itself with women. The, the kind of patience that's required with this technology, I, I, I myself can't handle behind the computer and uh, handling figures and stuff like that. But women, they just, just have this unique ability, and I think that this has helped them a lot. That's another thing that um, sh- you need to look at. But let me caution you. If you do let the wife go to work, uh, you might need to look at, is this going to be an extra expenditure and what I mean by that by the time she gets her hair done by the time she buys clothing to go to work by the time she puts her cosmetics uh, by the time you calculate lunch and calculate transportation you might discover that it's virtually um, not bringing any real income pretty much what she's working for is what is taking the kid to work uh, that is something that needs to be looked at, yes. Pastor, we have a caller from Gray's Farm. Thank you for calling and go very quickly with your question, please. We've got less than a minute left. Yes, I'm going to be very quick. Good night. Good night, sir. 
Um, what do you think of this pastor Murphy? There are two types of individuals. One that borrows and don't intend to pay back. Uh -huh. Two, one that borrows, wants to pay back, but does not have the means to pay back. Uh-huh. Well, the first one clearly is unscriptural, unbiblical. You shouldn't borrow and don't intend to pay back. The Bible calls that sin, a Proverbs we read. There are situations where a person borrowed and can't pay back. I, again, if you can't do that, I would try to meet with the person I borrowed from. I would lay out my case before them. I will see if there's a possibility that I can do certain things to, to try to alleviate, uh, pay them back, maybe not in kind, but maybe there's something I can do. Maybe I can work it off. Uh, but I would try my utmost best to try to... I wouldn't leave the person in limbo because I don't know... Lending to you or lending to me, I don't know what that has done to their financial situation with their family in terms of their future plans, etc., etc. So I have an obligation to try to meet my commitments. And I would try to see... I would definitely not leave it, leave it hanging. I will definitely try to see if there's anything I can do... Um, you know, maybe I, honest to God, I mean, maybe I can, depending on my skill, I can use my skill to, to help them with, with problems, or I can do the yard, or I can, you know, I would do something, but find out what can be done if I can't pay back the indirect ways I can meet my obligations. That's what I would do, sir. Thank you very much for all the interaction tonight. We appreciate you asking your questions. And have a Merry Christmas. We will not be live in the studio the next two Tuesdays, but we will be back at the beginning of next year. So have a Merry Christmas and a blessed, safe New Year celebration. And again, if you want to go back and listen to this practical information about debt, you can go to the That's Truth podcast. Just Google it, That's Truth podcast, episode 140. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth. Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.